physical education. Uh, I'm really happy and excited to be delivering this uh, new podcast on the APINs, which we'll get into, which are the Adapted Physical Education National Standards in the exam. Um, also, I have uh, finally uh, some somewhat legit podcasting equipment. So that's really exciting. I got some new microphones. I got all the uh, new things that being at a university provides. So I'm really hoping that the audio quality of the podcast is a little bit better for not, uh, here on out for the most part. Now, um, before I introduce the guest, I want to talk about some upcoming events and some things of the podcast. So right now, I'm set to be presenting a few times at the National uh, Adaptive Physical Education Conference in California, San Diego in early November. So I hope to see some of you there. We'll be talking about uh, least restrictive environment um, and inclusion and the state of APE. I also have one about the history of NAPAC coming up all with panels. Um, I'm even, I got some things now to do better, like kind of impromptu interviews. So um, I decided to make this podcast a full hour length podcast because I have so many other podcasts that should be coming out in the next month or two. So I hope you enjoy. It's about APINS, how it was created, why it was created, and how different districts are using it and some of the barriers to getting districts to use it. Uh, I have Dr. Tim Davis on here from SUNY Cortland, who's kind of the lead on the APINS now and uh, runs a lot of the day-to-day. -day. Uh, I have Dr. Luke Kelly, from University of Virginia who created the APINS is still very much involved in it. And then I have Tony Bader, a former guest who um, has kind of been uh, on the grassroots level in the Seattle, uh, Seattle Public Schools District talking about using it and how she's uh, implementing it in uh, the Seattle Public Schools. So with that, we're going to get started and um, I hope you enjoy it and I hope to see some of you out at the a national APE conference in a few weeks. We'll just get started then and I'm going to have you introduce yourselves and kind of talk about your background and maybe your background with the APINs. Who's going to go first? You are. Oh, I am. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, Tim Davis, SUNY Cortland, Adapted PE. Um, I started my career in Northern California as an Adapted PE teacher did my undergraduate at Chico State in physical education and then went on and became an adaptive PE teacher uh, through a master's degree program there. Um, was lucky enough to land at Ball State University for a period of about four years with Dr. Ron Davis, which was just an amazing experience. And uh, he pushed me in a direction which I wasn't sure I was gonna go with, uh, with my doctoral work. And I landed in Virginia with, uh, with Dr. Kelly. And, I gotta say that was my first exposure and experience to APENS and uh, what Adaptive PE National Standards are all about. Uh, I've been with them ever since. And what year was that? I think it was like 91, wasn't it Luke? Something like that. And um, it's, it's really been a career changer for me. And uh, so I feel incredibly uh, blessed and, and happy to not only be a part of APENS and understand a little bit more of the structures from the beginning to where it is today, but more importantly, 
to be able to talk to teachers day in, day out, you know, who call and ask questions about the national certification. Let's go with uh, Tony. I am the adaptive physical education teacher for Seattle Public Schools. There's two of us for the whole school district. That's 50,000 students, 7,300 students with disabilities. Uh, we have over 104 schools. A little background, I went to SUNY Cortland, worked with Dr. Davis, and then went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, where I got my master's in adaptive physical education. And uh, Dr. Davis, right away, I did the APENS exam, was TAPE certified, and have been recertified. Worked in Seattle Public Schools at a site for 10 years. Um, I am one of the adaptive physical education consulting teachers, really working hard to make Washington State recognize the endorsement so we can support more students with disabilities within our physical education programs. Hi, so my name is Luke Kelly and I'm a professor at the University of Virginia and I've been here for the last 35 years. Um, and my connection I'll limit to, to APENS was that in, um, I became a member of the consortium in 1978 and worked my way up through various roles in the consortium and in the late 1980s, gave a presentation and made an argument that the National Consortium for Physical Education for Individuals with Disabilities um, should be creating a national certification for adaptive PE. And the, the motivation at the time was that the Education of All Handicapped Children Act in 1975 said that there should be qualified people providing all special ed services. And when that passed and in the late 70s, thought that, you know, everything was going to be great because every state was going to define a national uh, certification and we were all going to get great jobs and everything was going to be great. Um, so now it's in the late 80s. And um, at that time, I think only 13 states had actually created something. And that something ranged from one adaptive PE course is all you needed in a couple states to get certified. And at the time, the extreme was uh, in the state of Michigan, you needed a 36 credit master's with 18 credits in special ed and 18 credits in adaptive PE in order to be certified. Um, so clearly, um, most states were not doing anything to um, develop endorsements. And in my own state of Virginia, um, I had several meetings with the constant turnover, whoever the director of special ed was in the state of Virginia about adding a certification or endorsement for adaptive PE. And I was told repeatedly that they were not going to create any more specialized endorsements because that created a budget expense for the schools and the schools already felt over constrained by all the state um, things. So thank you for my interest, but they weren't going to do anything. So after banging my head enough times against that wall, I realized if I couldn't do it at the state level, I was going to make my argument that we do it at the national level. So hence, I made the argument to the consortium, and that led to me then getting elected to be the president of the consortium. And since that was my idea that led to becoming president, then I wrote a grant to the federal government, the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Special Ed and Rehab Services. Um, and that ultimately was funded. So we had five years of federal funding to create um, APENS. I think we're going to talk about APENS a little later. So uh, I won't do the history and development of uh, um, APENS here. Uh, needless to say, though, though I get credit for um, doing APENS, um, I only did a teething bit of the work. I did have five years of federal funding. 
I did actually um, multiple committees that were staffed by many of our adaptive civil educators at all levels, and they did the bulk of the, the work. I, I organized and focused them, um, but the work was done by members of the profession. At this point in time, I, uh, I do want to highlight just a couple of people. So you know, that was from 1992 to 1995, 96 was the federal funding of APENS. And since then, um, the APENS committee, which is the subcommittee in the National Consortium, um, they have asked me to lead the revision. So we have revised the standards and the study guide um, twice, most recently in the last um, year and a half. Um, and human kinetics should be publishing in early 2019, the third APENS manual. Um, and following that will be the third study guide um, manual. And as soon as those documents are out available, um, then we'll start revising the questions on the exam to parallel the new changes in the uh, standards. And so the group that has done that, that's been on that committee that I'd like to just recognize would be Esther Henderson at the University of Utah, Susanna Dillon at Texas Women's University, Tim Davis, and um, Wesley Wilson, who did his work while he was um, a doctoral student here at the University of Virginia. Absolutely, absolutely. So that was uh, that we covered a lot in that one, Dr. Kelly. So that's great, and we got a lot of the the history in there. Now, just for some of our listeners, we're talking right now about the APINs, and a lot of times we use that term, and everyone knows what it is. But for some, you know, newcomers and such, all right. So we've kind of now been talking about the APINs. Um, can we define it now for our listeners, the APINs and the APINs exam and the standard? Well, I'll quickly take a stab at that. I mean, basically the, uh, the APINs are the standard, 15 different standards, but the content is what an adaptive PE teacher needs to know to do their job on a day-to-day -day basis. That content, as Dr. Kelly said, was developed not only by um, people in higher education, uh, but also people who teach adaptive the practitioners in the field. It was ultimately validated through that same process. So um, that content uh, has gone through the not only content validity, but a variety of other uh, uh, measures to ensure that it really differentiates between what an OT, what a PT, what a general physical education practitioner should know. Um, so it's unique and it's content that defines who we are. It's content that uh, uh, helps us make, at the end of the day, the best decisions possible for kids with disabilities when it comes to physical education. Okay, I'll, um, I'll add just a little bit to uh, Tim's response. Um, part of that three-year grant, one of the first steps was to conduct a national needs assessment. And, and so if your goal is ultimately create the standards of what a profession needs to know, you first need to understand what are the responsibilities that are expected to carry out. Um, and that process of using a, a job analysis needs assessment was followed by other professional organizations close to our field, like uh, National Athletic Training Association, Therapeutic Recreation, uh, the National Physical Therapy Association. So they, they all use that model. So we use our same model, uh, and it was built in the uh, APENS grant to do a national job uh, needs assessment for adaptive PE. And then the analysis of those job responsibilities led to the creation of the 15 content standards that delineate what people need to know in various uh, cognitive areas. 
and then those standards um, become the basis ultimately of what questions are asked on the exam. I want to ask a little bit more about those standards. Um, so we've mentioned that they're unique, that it separates us a little bit from these other professions. Uh, and Dr. Davis and I were talking right before this podcast about how we are so commonly confused, and I think sometimes even confuse ourselves between PTs and OTs and, and therapeutic rec uh, therapists. What specifically in these standards kind of differentiates us? People need to understand the structure of how the standards are developed. So there's five levels to the to the standards. The, of the 15 standards, within each standard, there are five levels of content. The first three are what a general practitioner or general physical educator should know. And if you were trained in that capacity, like myself, I was trained as a general PE teacher first and then went on and got additional content um, specific to adaptive PE. And those are levels four and five. That's the specific content that differentiates us from the general PE teacher. And Tony, you live that pretty much every day. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about having um, the APENS and the structure that it provides is that, you know, it goes back to even having the template so that when I'm meeting with a special education director, I can show this work and how it's been vetted and how not only have we done it through like Dr. Kelly was talking about, but I was involved with looking at the revision of the questioning. So appreciating it from the whole scope of you have people that are in the field looking at these questions that are adapted to special education teachers themselves to people that are in higher education. So the amount of people that are looking at it, when I have a special ed director or even a teacher say, well, what is adaptive physical education? What does it look like? And why is it important to have this? Um, I can bring them something because our state is saying that anybody that's an OTPT and IA can be doing this work. And now I can come to them with this information that's really well spelled out and advocate for our profession and how we can support students with disabilities in physical education. I'd like to add one other element. Um, in the creation of the original national standards, when it came to creating the test items, we developed the test items and then validated them so that they actually would discriminate against the different groups. So we, we use a national sample. We developed 2,000 test items. And then we had them taken by different groups. So we had them taken by general physical educators, adaptive physical educators, related service personnel, which would be OTs and PTs, and then others, other people in education that didn't fit in those first three groups. And what we did was we um, did an item analysis so that the items that we included, so we screened our 2,000 items down to 504 to be items that discriminated adaptive PE teachers' knowledge from those other groups. So in other words, we didn't want someone to be able to do well on the APENS exam just because they were a special ed teacher or just because they were a physical therapist. Um, we wanted to make sure you had to have the combination of knowledge in physical education, knowledge about disability, and then how it applied to physical education in order to score well on the test. I was just going to ask for maybe an example or two out of that like what is something that would specifically be for adapted and it wouldn't maybe fit in those other ones although sometimes there's some cross uh, in um, I, I don't think I do it, 
we did it statistically. Yeah. Uh, in other words, if you had, you know, 100 PTs, 100 special ed teachers, 100 adaptive teachers, whatever, take the test, that item would distinguish between those groups. Okay. So, I, you know, I don't know if it's because two of the foils said this or that would make the difference. It's just statistically with a large enough group, you could factor out which groups would do well on that item. Yeah. Maybe uh, something uh, specifically might be, you know, unique characteristics of, say, a child with Down syndrome who the physical therapist might know something about, you know, AIS and might know something about the instability that, that potentially a child may have, uh, or may even know something about heart anomalies associated with Down syndrome. But now you put in the dynamics of we're out on the track and we're doing something in physical education where we're running or we're participating. And Tony, is she's working with kids um, just like this, and she has that set of knowledge. But so many public school teachers who are teaching adaptive PE, like in the state of New York where I'm at, they have one three-credit course. They don't know that information, and yet they're out there doing, um, you know, providing physical education to the best of their ability for a child who has these or could potentially have these unique characteristics, but don't understand that knowledge. And so the, the knowledge that, that Dr. Kelly is, is referencing and, and talking about, the way that content came out was specific to what practitioners felt they needed to know and uh, around these unique characteristics, you know, in this case, 13 different categories of disabilities. And, uh, but the standards are much, much more comprehensive than that as well. And we might get into that a little bit later, but. Um, I was thinking about uh, one of my students um, with muscular dystrophy and the teacher asked me to come in and talk about how we can do fitness testing. And they wanted the student then to do bicep curls instead that was in a, he was in a motorized wheelchair. Just talking about how um, with a disability like that, that's degenerative. We don't want the students to be doing exercises where you're breaking down your muscles because they don't reproduce. And so really having the safety piece is what I think helps change us in our practice too when we're talking to physical education teachers because they're going off of their knowledge base and not what is practical for the student. Um, so not only they have the enjoyment of physical activity, but then we're doing the appropriate things for their bodies and their safety. And so a lot of times I'm looking at taking the practices and what I've learned but I have to break it down into like a laid um, explanation and articulation to our physical education teachers. So, I mean, you know, just listening to you, Dr. Davis, about how you can articulate students with Down syndrome with all of the disabilities. When we start labeling with acronyms and stuff like that, a lot of I see like the deer in the headlight look with my physical education teacher. So, um, having the ability to go in and break that down so they understand it and then slowly build their knowledge base. But we need to look at it from the student's perspective of what they can do, but make sure that safety is there too. You know, and sadly, I was just out in the schools the other day um, in a local area. And again, I have a teacher who's a great teacher, but because they don't have the knowledge, they constrain or limit the, the child's opportunity to participate because they're afraid of something going wrong with, with, in regards to the condition or the unique characteristic or they're, they're fearful for their safety. But if they just have the knowledge, a lot of that goes away. You can modify and adapt it appropriately. So, um, you know, I see teachers not having this content, not knowing this content well enough. And 
they basically limit uh, or marginalize children's participation in physical education. Yeah, and so there's a piece of like having that safety, but then what is appropriate participation and engagement that we can have um, through that. In trying to advocate with my special education director, I come in, she wouldn't even have a meeting with me unless whatever I brought to her was peer reviewed and research-based and, and has that um, validity and reliability behind it. So that's one thing where I really value the work that you guys have all done with the APENS organization because it has that power behind it. It's not Tony going, Bader going into a special ed director saying, hey, this is what's best for kids, but we have all of that power behind it. And that's where I think the APENS and all the work that Nick Keaton and all of you have done um, really supports us in the grassroots in the districts. Yeah, no, I and I want to get more into that in a moment, kind of, and then how we can do that at different levels. But for me, I, I kind of like uh, profoundly struck to, in a way by some of our conversation because I've known about the APENS for years and I've never looked at the standards as a way to differentiate us between other professions. Um, and I, I think that's, that's really cool and something I haven't heard much. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to maybe go too much more on that topic, but I think it's something to, for us maybe to ponder on more or our listeners to ponder on more, because I'm always hearing, you know, people outside of our field kind of, you know, basically like, so you're like a PT, right? <laughs> so, and I think that's, this is a, a, something nice for us to kind of hold on to and show to the world and, um, rather than just as the test as itself too is kind of the standards is if there are any other thoughts on that but then we can move on to well scott i think dr kelly's incredibly humble in his in his presentation earlier about the history um i think people need to realize the history in that uh well before nasty standards came out apen standards were established and we defined because because there was no definition of what a physical educator needed to know. That was the first logical step, right, Luke? I mean, it was, you had to define what a general PE teacher needed to know to then discriminate what an adaptive PE teacher needed to know. And, um, you know, this is, yes, they had the five-year, uh, you know, federal special project, special topics grant. And it's important to understand that this has continued since then. This is one of those rare federal training grants that actually has sustained itself for almost 30 years, uh, which is incredible because I don't know of another project. Luke, do you know of another project that has done that? Yeah. I, I, I have to apologize. I, I try not to highlight my mistakes. <laughs> so, um, but the first part of the grant that was reviewed and funded by the federal government basically stated that we were going to review the national standards for what it took to be a competent general physical educator. And then from those, we were going to create the national standards for adaptive PE. And so I formed the first two, the executive and the steering committee. And the steering committee's job was actually to do that initial review. And I charged that committee to go out and identify the general PE standards and do an analysis. And we learned in the first three weeks that none of the leaders in our field could find the national standards for general PE because lo and behold, they didn't exist. Um, so we then had to step back um, and do that needs, job needs assessment, and then create 
what we thought the standards would be then for a general physical educator before we could get to the standards we need to have for a cafeteria. So um, Tim is correct in saying I, I skimmed over that, but that's largely because uh, it was an initial oversight on my part. It was not a skimmed over because it became an incredibly daunting task, but quite honestly, I think because it's presented, it, 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 it's comprehensive. The national standards truly are comprehensive because quite honestly, not only in my head, but in my heart, the way I teach, I can't sometimes separate the difference between now I'm a general PE teacher now, but now I take my hat and now I'm an adaptive PE teacher. I'm a teacher who addresses the needs of everyone in my classes of all ability range, you know, and, and uh, I love what Tony said about focusing on kids' abilities. That's what we should be doing, not the deficits. And in order to be able to do that effectively, you've got to have, you know, you've got to be competent in both areas. So as I speak about APENS, as I've gone through well, my career, the last 20 years of working in this content and talking to teachers, I always come back to what grounds me. And that is I'm, in a, I'm a physical education practitioner, physical education teacher first, and I have this unique set of knowledge that's valuable, that's important. And that's what, uh, you know, I, I've, I've kind of lived my whole life around, um, that that content is critical for teachers to know. All right, I want to I wanna transition because we haven't even talked about eligibility yet because we got some listeners that probably want to know, okay, how do I take it now? So if someone wants to go in and, and tell us what the eligibility uh, requirements are, that'd be great. Tony, you want to do that? You want me to do that? I think it's your guys' wheelhouse a little bit. He's little quizzing bit. you, Tony. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to talk too much, but the eligibility criteria um, was established you know, early on, and we've expanded it now as of 2010. So the eligibility criteria as it stands right now is you must have a uh, license in physical, or, uh, excuse me, a, a degree in physical education. Uh, you must have a teaching license in physical education, and you must have 200 hours of, uh, that teaching license should be current, must be current in the state that you're teaching in. Um, and all of this is on the, on the website, you can access uh, 200 hours of uh, teaching children with disabilities in physical education. And um, I just lost it, what's the last one? Um, major law. Yeah, did I hit them all? Bachelor's degree, 12 credit hours, a minimum of 200 hours, and a valid teaching certificate. Right, so it's that 12 credit hour piece I wanted to explain. Okay. The 12 credit hour, um, most of us get three credits in our undergraduate degree program. And uh, so we don't differentiate between undergraduate or graduate coursework here. We're just looking at 12 credits. So most get the three credit undergrad course in their physical education program, either an intro or survey course in adapted. And we've expanded it now to include nine additional hours to total 12. And of those nine hours, um, at least uh, three of those courses must be in adapted PE. One could be in a related area such as special ed or, or a therapeutic recreation, those types of things. So, um, but that ultimately is the eligibility criteria in a nutshell. It's, it's on the website and it's on uh, uh, the application. Wonderful. All right, I want to transition. I, I think we've already kind of covered why different people would want this because it kind of sets you apart and it lets people know, um, you know, who you are and what you know. I want to kind of talk about your experiences with the APENS exam and the APENS being adopted. Um, 
you know, within university preparation programs or districts or state levels? What's your what's your experience with this? Is it occurring? Is it not occurring? So I'll talk specifically for Washington State. We're really having a hard time when I'm going and presenting to the directors of higher education universities. The biggest uh, barrier is the same that Dr. Kelly came up to is the colleges say, no, it's a budgetary expense that we don't want to be offering. We can't afford to be offering um, those extra credits. And so when I'm meeting with our special education director for our state, he wants three different pathways. And that's what we're trying to push is the adaptive physical education master's endorsement. The, they want to have you have a special education endorsement and a physical education endorsement and then the CAPE certification. Um, I think the CAPE certification is really, I'm trying to use that as our biggest platform to be advocating for the certification within our state. But the hard part is working with directors to be taking capacity from some of their other professors and putting it into a, uh, getting those beyond the three, the nine additional credits in their universities. And so that's where I've been touching base with Dr. Davis and other professors, like how can we work around this? Cause that's the biggest barrier I'm finding. And what our state is saying is our professional education standards board. I can't practice until one of our higher ed universities offer the endorsement. Wow. Yeah, so I'll make a few comments too here in that um, I think we have to understand that creating state certifications or endorsements are both financial and political issues and they have nothing to do with making sure we meet the needs of the students with disabilities right so i think the advantage of the national standards is that that was they were created by a professional organization that's only motive was to make sure that we identified the criteria needed to have a qualified teacher addressing the needs of those um, populations. And then the benefit then of having that national set of standards is that they can be used by anybody. All right. And so it can, even if you're in a state without an endorsement, a PE teacher that thinks they have those competencies has the opportunity to take this test independently, get national certification, and then go make their case. Um, I think there's an advantage for um, PE teacher education training programs at universities and adaptive PE training programs that if they think they have a quality program, they can now require their students like we do at the University of Virginia, you need to pass the APENS exam or else you don't earn your master's degree. Because we're saying there's a set of standards that someone has to achieve in order to practice a certain level of the profession. So I, I think that's the goal and the benefit of having a national uniform set because even though it's still only a small number of states have these endorsements, they vary tremendously, right? So they're, they're not interchangeable. Um, where using the APEDS exam and the CAPE certification is a uniform thing that applies to everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with Luke and, and, and that's, I remember having lots of conversations about this late into the evening about this, APEDS are the first step, you know, it's, it's the first you know, uh, stepping stone or second tier stepping stone towards uh, improving the quality of physical education for kids with disabilities across the board. Um, but the exam doesn't measure, you know, how well you teach. So I know Tony's a great teacher. She's received national awards 
she's a, a, a national teacher of the year award winner and and <laughs> because of yeah you know, somewhere in there right uh state i'm going to nationals this year uh, to get the west the, to do western district first all right well good luck i have a feeling you're going to do well there so <laughs> anyway the uh the idea is that you know we're trying to raise the bar across the country in terms of um quality physical education and it doesn't like i said it doesn't measure how well you teach kids with disabilities but it measures their knowledge and maybe down the road the consortium um maybe we'll establish uh different measures of having accredited programs that might be something down the road because i agree with luke in the time that i've been involved with athens from 91 on I have yet to see a state develop an endorsement or develop the criteria needed to uh, create a credential or licensure in their state. Um, so we started at 13. I think, Luke, we're still hovering right around 13, and we might have lost one along the way, but we might have picked one up too. So, But the language in every state is going to be slightly different, some heavier than others. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's just not lucrative enough for a, a too cost heavy and too political for a state to create a licensure. If I could make one more comment, just to, to clarify, most states, um, when they make an endorsement, they just uh, sew together a collection of courses. Um, there, no one knows the actual basis behind why those courses. Um, the difference with APENS is that we started out with a study to determine what the roles and responsibilities were. Then we created standards that would give you the knowledge to do those things. And then we created an exam to measure those knowledge. So there's, there's some rhyme or reason to the criteria we've set. We're in states, as I said, it's a financial and it's a political set of compromises that leads to some mm -hmm. set of courses which might not actually make you technically qualified. Um, so anyway, I just want to make that distinction. Sure. I, I'm really walking, or I'm coming away from this conversation a little bit, like really rethinking the APEN standards. I've always thought about the APEN's exam to be kind of the pinnacle piece of showing, but I think really we need to focus some more on the standards as well as not something just to gloss over and uh, to kind of take those most more seriously and really look at them. I, I want to know as well, like, what about district levels? Um, are are you aware of districts that are that are um, that use the the CAPE certification to kind of know what a quality uh, adapted physical educator is? I could jump on this on a couple different states that have um, that have districts because that are all CAPE certified or have people who want to become CAPE certified. Um, because the superintendent of that particular district is on board. You know, they understand the importance of physical education. They understand the importance of physical education in kids with disabilities and how to deliver those. One of those is Clark County Schools in, in, uh, in, in Nevada, down in Vegas area. Um, you know, and, and you can tell by the amount of teachers that are there. There's 20 plus adaptive PE teachers in that huge district, um, Anchorage City Schools is another one. Anchorage City School Districts, um, you know, require their teachers who are teaching adaptive PE to become CAPE certified. Uh, the state recognizes that, which is wonderful. And that all started because we had a practitioner, Pam Scogstead, 
who's now retired, who's a consortium member, who simply said, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. with the consortium and advocate in my state for this. So we met with Senator Murkowski, and the first thing she asked was, what are your standards for your field, for your profession? That's the first question out of her mouth. And, you know, obviously we were there to, to give her the standards manual, give her the background history on the standards, and, you know, things come full circle, and now the state, specifically Anchorage City School Districts, um, will only hire someone who's CAPE certified. I'm going to just make one comment. When I talk to school board members, uh, superintendents, or principals, um, I always just make the simple uh, statement that when in doubt, you should always hire a CAPE. Because um, a CAPE can teach all your students, um, general ed and um, APE, where if you hire a general physical educator, um, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you still have to hire more personnel to, to cover the gap. So, um, when in doubt, uh, a CAPE is your best insurance. Very good. And let, let's get that other end that Tony briefly talked about, too. She was mentioning at the university level, she said that in Washington, there's nobody offering the CAPE, um, you know, endorsement. So none of the districts are willing to accept it because there's no way to get it in Washington State. How do we get universities to offer this more regularly? Well, we're back to finances. Um, again, in, in this day and age, um, you know, they have an enrollment cap. So most adaptive PE training for an endorsement level would be at the master's level. Um, so that means you need somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 36 credit hours. Um, and in most cases, you need somewhere between 15 and 20 students per class. Um, so, and, and those uh, constraints have increased over recent years. Um, so I think the, the future addressing that question is a group like the National Consortium um, probably will start having to offer an online master's program that actually is taught by professors and expertise within the consortium and that can cover the country and probably do it at a price that would be well under what universities would charge because um, the consortium members will probably have to donate a significant amount of their time and expertise <laughs> where they have to be paid for that at their, whatever their going rate is if they're at a university. Um, so I, I, that's just a realistic um, solution, which I, by the way, have also offered to the consortium for consideration um, uh, as well. Um, or if not, we'll always have these pockets where the places that need it the most do not have a college or a university that even has personnel added that could teach the endorsement courses. So, um, so that, I mean, the biggest financial constraint on a university is not offering the courses, it's hiring the faculty uh, that are qualified to teach the courses first. Um, and so, you know, that's a long chain of events. So I think a more logical thing to do would be to go where the expertise exists um, and, and package something up that, that can um, be used by the profession that way. Yeah, I, I can't agree more, Luke. Um, I, I listened to your presentation, what, eight, nine, ten years ago about the, it was a little bit of doom and gloom about what's going to happen in higher education, but you're spot on uh, with the online degree programs. One of the, I think, concerns and issues that I think is important to recognize, and, and Scott, I, well, I hope your listeners hear this, is that, you know, we're not a licensure. APENS is a certificate. It's an advanced certificate that goes in, and, and uh, from a professional development standpoint, enhances an existing licensure. But that's one of the constraints 
that I think states have in terms of offering programs is this license to that state. Um, so my teaching license is in California, which has reciprocity with New York, you know, so I earned my teaching license there. But um, if we if we look at what this content is and what it could be as far as a certificate, um, I think we can create like what Dr. Kelly is saying, um, an incredible program that has the top professionals in the field providing content and information through an online forum um, and through podcasts like this and webinars, other technology that would allow uh, people to, you know, cross pollinate, if you will, over state lines to get this content. And it's, to me, that is just a huge opportunity moving forward uh, because I, I do not believe states will go down the road of individually licensing adapted PE teachers um, for all the reasons that we've already talked about. And I, I totally agree from a practitioner, like a grassroots in the, in the schools. Um, I have constantly people, we just had our state conference asking me for supports and professional development and what can we do? And um, these three hour, one hour, one off sessions, I think they're great in the ability to collaborate, but for, for us to have really effective quality programs um, going the way that you guys are talking about with the online and, and the the additional certification is going to really support our professional growth for our staff members, but then that's going to trickle down to student growth and how we're really impacting programs with students. Um, I definitely want to distinguish the difference between the certificate and the licensure. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Tim, because even as I'm nationally certified, CAPE certified, I'm not allowed to evaluate, design, or monitor. So that's one of the things we need to look at when we go to states too, is that we have, they said in our state that an OTPT, a psych or a special ed endorsed person can evaluate, design, and monitor special education, but I can't. And so um, I think taking those steps, getting the certificate there and showing quality programs and what it looks like is gonna help us change the practice in our state and um, how we're impacting students. So the best way we're gonna get it is to do the online where the whole state or the whole nation's coming together to really um, inform people and to advocate and educate for adaptive physical education certificates at ATENS. I know Dr. Uh, Davis has to, to get going in a minute and I want to ask another question but maybe after he if he has to take off we can maybe tackle that online piece a little bit more. I want to just ask in a perfect world uh, how do you see the APINS or where would you like to see the APINS being used in the next five to 10 years? So next five or 10 years, I'm gonna follow where we just were with the, the online course. I think literally what needs to happen is states have had 40 years since the passage of the Education for Handicapped Children Act that stated that there were supposed to be qualified people to provide the service. Um, and we've only got 10 or 15 states that have done it. I don't think that's gonna be a viable solution. Um, so that goes back to we need to approach it a different way and I think the only logical way right now to do that would be for an organization like the National Consortium um, to take the lead um, with doing that. Um, in most states, your licensure is actually based on your undergraduate teaching or certificate. So in most states, you get licensed to teach PE and then something like an adaptive PE is an add-on endorsement 
um, and maybe gives you a thousand dollars more if I haven't got a master's degree. I have some little increment um, you, you get. So um, um, there is a disconnect there between a degree and a certificate. Um, and if the consortium wanted at some point in time after it created it, it could align itself with a university that could be accredited and give it a degree status. Um, but the bottom line is the reasonable, reasonable way to do this in a cost-effective way would be for a group to put together the courses. Um, the proposal I actually made to the consortium actually was more developmental and progressive. The goal was to actually provide these services to universities and then let the universities offer credit for the courses through their degree program. So let's say at your institution, you can only teach two of the four courses you need. For the second two courses, you would some contract to the consortium's online course. Your students would take it through the consortium. They get credit for it at your institution. They get your institution's master's degree. All right. So that that was my my proposal, and that'd be most diplomatic. And then you wouldn't have people saying, "Well, the consortium just killed my master's program," because now all the students are going to the consortium to get certified. No one's coming to take my master's program. So. I mean, there's some logistics and politics to work out on how best to do that. But the concept of basically taking the best people in the country to organize and deliver the content that's needed to address the standards and to be able to reach the largest audience through online education, I think that's a logical pathway to meeting the greatest need. Um, who actually confers it? Who gets paid for it? Those are the logistics the consortium will have to work out with. Yeah, um, like I said, great people coming up, and now the reality is, is um, how are we going to address this in a, in a logical, systematic way? I think systematic is the key. Uh, certainly learned that from Dr. Kelly, and uh, as we look at what the trends are, um, we could model this national cert certificate, this national degree of study, if you will, much upon the, what they've done in Europe with the... the uh, 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 European adapted PE um, degree that that's offered by a kind of like a consortium of, of universities and students come through as a cohort and they travel around they do some really unique things. Now we may not be able to do that but we can certainly through technology have students from all over um, various parts of the country participate in this national degree. Um, I think it's really relevant to, to point out that um, because we are global, right, it's all about being global now, that um, whether you start at the World Health Organization or you start with European standards or you start with the Asian Adaptive PE standards or you start with national standards in the U.S., um, we, we have to recognize and understand that, that um, you know, the application of this knowledge about disability in physical education is truly global that that movement and movement studies and physical activity is a universal language that bridges the gap on all these types of things and that also includes those with unique characteristics those with disabilities so starting out there and working back to a national certificate a national degree um, we have people across the country whether they're practitioners or in higher education who can offer some truly dynamic content, who are amazing at, at what they do. 
And uh, I think technology is going to break down these borders that we call state licensures and state structures. Um, universities can do it fairly well. There's a hell of a lot of, uh, of red tape, though, as Luke knows, when you talk about saying I'm going to get my degree from University of Virginia versus, say, say SUNY Cortland and, and how that works and what those agreements look like. I can't even imagine, Luke, what that nightmare would be trying to negotiate that with lawyers and everything else in, in some of these institutions. But at the end of the day, I think the consortium is the group that uh, already is comprised of those in higher education, has uh, uh, a tremendous growth of young professionals in it who are like you, Scott, who are, are uh, tech savvy, who kind of take it on and uh, are ready to roll with it. And I think it's just now a matter of uh, in the next five to seven, 10 years, um, you know, really establishing some, some goals, some broad-based goals for a national uh, uh, certificate in, um, you know, in adaptive PE. Uh, yeah, what I would like to see in the next five years is just the fact of some of our higher education universities around us, the buy-in piece, because the need is there. And the amount of asks I'm getting to do professional development is pretty profound. But again, it's the fact of it needs to be a more structured system. And APENS provides that. And so when we can get to the point of, I, I do believe that Dr. Kelly's, the Dr. Dillon's, the Dr. Davis, those I'm just trying to help out as a teacher, other teachers that are having um, some needs. And I think that's happening in more states. What I can see is that a collaboration between our shape state organizations, um, the higher ed universities, and community partners providing some of that um, practical experience. But then what, what about pairing up with some of our shape conferences? And I'd be able to administer the exam along when we're bringing a bunch of our professionals together after they've done all the other criteria to take the exam. So my vision is like a total collaborative approach into supporting teachers to getting the proper professional development so that they can support students with disabilities in physical education. But that's kind of where my vision is, is like the higher ed education universities and then Nick Pete and then also our SHAPE group helping administer some of those exams when we bring people together. What What is um, APIN's background with uh, working with with other organizations outside of NICPED, like uh, SHAPE and uh, state organizations? Uh, well, when it was APIN and not SHAPE, we actually had a substructure um, within APIN that focused solely on APE. And, um, and APERT endorsed, uh, was an endorsing partner to APENS. Um, of course, when SHAPE came over, it tried to remove all that bureaucracy, but in the same time, it did away with all those, you know, sub-organization um, pieces. So we now have members of the consortium that sit on, you know, certain committees and stuff within SHAPE, but that stuff's a lot more fluid and, and less structured than it was in the um, past. Um, again, back when it was APRID, most state organizations paralleled the national, you know, organization and whatever. And again, some states have stayed with that. Other states are trying to be more fluid and adjust to 
um, you know, uh, shape. So, um, and um, I have not been active in, in that aspect of the, of, of the consortium um, in, in recent years. Probably not the best source to know that. Absolutely. From my perspective as a teacher that's gone to a state, um, we need to unify more. And I, I agree with Dr. Kelly that with the reorg, there's been a lot of like more silos that are happening across the nation. Um, the APENS is one of the, and Nick Peter, one that's kind of still holding that umbrella of unification within our profession. And um, there's a lot of people on different boards or committees, and I would love to see us be less of a silo. And that happens when we come together at the national convention. I know we have our SIG group, but that's a lot of teachers don't know about that. And with the exchange being gone and different things, um, you know, Scott, the work that you're doing with the technical piece of bringing the teacher together to feel that they're not at a silo, like they're just yearning for help. And a lot of teachers don't even know that the APEN is out there. And so I think that's a big work. We have a big spectrum of people from, you know, Dr. Kelly, the, the founder and the, getting it all going to um, new teachers coming out of programs that don't even know or certified teachers taking an exam and don't even know about PE. And so, and then they're getting put in a comprehensive public school where they're teaching students with disabilities that are just in their gen ed classroom, whether it's appropriate or not. You know, so our spectrum is really big and we need to bring it back so that we're not in silos anymore. How, how do we do that though? I think that's, that's you know, I, I, I totally agree with you, Tony. It's just, it's, it seems so complex sometimes when you really try to think about it. It's like, how do we, you know, how do we do it systematically and such to, to be successful in this? But this is what was lost from the transition, I think, with Aford and, and Jake. Um, the, the national consortium is, is largely a higher education um, group, and it's well represented nationally and all that um, sort of stuff. And it can impact teacher training at institutions of higher ed because it's a much smaller playing field that we're, we're working in. The, the connection we lost is the connection between um, what's going on in the profession and the practitioners in the field. And that was always linked by the state association to the national um, uh, association. And um, as I said in the past, that the PE actually was a structure in, in those things. And, and now it's, it's more fluid, but it's non-existent in, in, in some places. You know, there's no one with the title it's that they're, they're not running and organizing the sessions for that. You know, it used to be very structured. You know, AP would get so many things. Someone would be elected the president or the chair elect. You know, that whole structure followed under APRIT. So uh, I'm not being critical. The shape was designed to correct a lot of other problems in there. But I think this is one of the things that was lost for a smaller segment of our profession. That, that we were more dependent on having that structure um, articulated the way it was. Um, but again, that's not a, a realm I, I'm, I'm playing in right now, so I don't I don't know what to offer as a solution to remedy it. But, but I agree, Tony, that is a problem, and I do think because of that disconnect now, there are people out at the field level that don't have a connection to even know because APENS was created you know 30 years ago now. Um, that's like ancient history to them, you know. Unless someone they, you know has brought it forward and made it relevant, whatever training they got, they don't know about it. Um, and then the, you know, another problem we have where states don't have certifications or endorsements, then there's no um, 
with Tony's situation, there's no justification for the universities in that state to actually have a program because the state has no licensure that goes uh, with that. Then there's no need to hire a person on the faculty at that university that knows anything about this since they're not training or running anything. You know, so that's a vicious cycle um, that, that's created. And you know, to, to the profession, when I talk at the consortium, you know, I, I, I speak more openly about the challenges I see in the field, which Tim summarized as doom and gloom. But it, um, there are challenges to our profession if we don't strengthen higher education across the nation in colleges and universities. Um, and so that's outside the realm of this conversation, but it's going to um, be a factor. Well, I, I think it somewhat could be part of this conversation. I was I'm very intrigued in the online course that you're talking about for the APINs. Um, you know, I, I, I'm somebody that's done a lot of technology things, but I'm kind of starting in my research I'm kind of trying to push a podcast as a supplementary part of education rather than you shouldn't be using it to, you know, replicate or uh, take away readings and take away other uh, resources. So, you know, and I know, I think California has a position statement against a APE doing online courses for college credits and stuff like that. However, the logistics, right? So there's this. So the, there are compromises. And right now, I wouldn't worry about California. California has one of the better endorsements, okay? It's in place, it has it, they have faculty at the institutions to train it, whatever. You know, um, I'm worried about the other 45 plus states that have nothing, okay? Um, and, and let's, you know, let's raise them up a, a little bit and then we can do the fine tuning at the end of how, um, you know, we, we can equate, um, you know, the other problem, as I said, states, most states do not have a clear delineation of what it takes to do something. California actually has a set of standards that underlies their state endorsement, right? So eventually someone could do a little study and we can see whether the gaps or differences are between theirs and the, you know. Sure, but again, sure. that's filling a small hole. The big hole we have to address is the 45 states that have uh, nothing. And my guess is that many of those 45 states that have nothing there are very few of any institutions in those states training um, people as a, an adapted TE. So that's a, you asked what the, the big challenge and thing, that's the problem we have to address. And so um, that leads to all the logic back of, we need to help those institutions. And so my initial proposal to the consortium was, the consortium still has to create the course and deliver it. But then we can allow those institutions to offer the consortium's course through their curriculum, train a faculty member there that's interested in doing it. They can see how the course goes. They, you know, we can work them in, you know, a way to infuse it. But if we're gonna expect some institutions just to vote. You know, you're an institution, probability of your faculty sitting there, if there's no one in an APE saying, you know what, we ought to just give up one of our lines to get a new adapted PE person or hire for another exercise physiologist. Not, I can tell you which one will probably win. You know, um, so there has to be a way to create the need. So if your institution started using the consortium and then a bunch of students started showing interest in, in doing it, that would create some of the momentum needed to start, you know, building and developing a program. So anyway, that's... No, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I love it because it sounds like you actually have a solution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't see the online as a replacement. 
for me, from where I'm at, I see it as like uh, additional support. So some, when I went talking to higher ed universities, I was a very intentional in picking ones that have phys- already have physical education programs and a special education program at their higher ed universities. And within that, they didn't really hit a lot of the credits. And then we still need some specific ones for that are especially the adaptive physical education. And so that's where the online really comes in. I know one of the courses I did a, a class at a university here in Washington, and we paired it up with our um, summer school with students with disabilities. And they had they got practical experience, and then we went back and debriefed and we reflected on it. And that was where some of the best learning is. But we need to have that knowledge base too, and that's where I feel like the online courses can go beyond my scope of practice. But I can support that. Sorry, I think I'm just doing more um, within our programs. And so I think to also jump on what Dr. Kelly was talking about, I do believe, and I'm not being critical right now, I do believe in um, the universal design and having it so the inclusion, but that's something that's going across our nation so much is just inclusion, 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 and we're losing our specialized profession in the niche of really having, you know, and that's where those standards are so important because we need people to have that knowledge base then to go in and be intentional within our programs to support students with disabilities. And so there is a piece of designing your lesson plans for everybody, but there's specific knowledge that you need to have if you're going to really meet students' needs and what they can do. And so um, we need to use not only our higher ed universities, but I think encourage our teacher leaders that are coming up, our teachers of the year in the states to have voices at the national level, get them involved in NICTI because that to me was more of a business and political organization when I was coming up and really understanding that and have that bridge between classroom teachers and the business politics piece. And we can be the ones to advocate too to our administration leadership as far as professional organization shape to say, we need a voice again yeah. of adaptive physical education. We need, we can't just be infused in everything. It gets spread out too much. We need to be collected um, and have a collective voice yeah. in advocating. Otherwise, we're just going to be spread so thin again that we're going to continue down this road of um, not quality programs and not quality supports. I don't want to be a doom and gloom guy again, but you know, the, um, it turns out that where we have the strong endorsements, which would be, you know, probably Wisconsin, Minnesota, California, um, it's because politically at the time when they did it, they had strong support at the State Department, a former physical educator, you know, as a director or something. And, you know, that person opened the door and allowed them to get in, their, in the door and, and grow when they did. Um, but, you know, it, it's that's kind of situational and not something you can just transfer, you know. Sure. Um, they also all got on the board early, all right, while there was still a feel that there was a federal mandate. The fact that these other states have got away with not doing anything for 40 years, they're not feeling much pressure, okay? No one's from the federal government saying, hey, by the way, you know, you haven't done anything on this. Um, and so, um, so there's a certain timing factor is all I'm trying to say that would be hard to replicate. Not that there are new initiatives and things they could obviously come up with, but the initial initiative that probably helped them probably hasn't, 
salad anymore. And I, but our our field, I mean, the doom and gloom is is a is a regular thing we talk about in our field because it's always like. But at the same time, you never know when those things are going to happen again either. I mean, things could change pretty quickly, you know, and and we don't realize it. I don't know if everybody realized that the special education laws were coming out in 1975 either. Um, but they did, and, and, you know, there probably was a lot of just by chance they advocate, the right person advocated at the right time. But we don't know if, you know, I think I talked to California State. I'm doing, I'm going to their um, national conference this year. And, you know, they were, I think their organization started in 1970, 1971. So that was a few years before all this occurred, you know, and, and at least having state organizations that are focused specifically on APE allows us to have the platform that if, things do radically change in unforeseeable ways, which a lot of times they are two or three years out, but then we have an established platform to, you know, we, we, we have to be ready and we have to be communicating to one another. And, uh, but I, you know, yeah, so. Okay. Collaboration and network is really important too, Scott. I, I totally agree with you on that. One of the things I have reached out to some of those established states and it's just like, well, just quote the law and it, when that has no power though in my state and so i think what we need to do is keep referring back to the standards too and that's where they're really established to say this is what it looks like and so i really agree with you on that it's not just the test it's it's the skeleton the bones the the foundational piece of the standards is going to be a really big push and how and then being able to articulate that to the administrators um because if and if a parent doesn't see what a quality physical education looks like right they're not going to advocate for their student to be in it. Therefore, they're not going to be our advocate either. And so um, I think that's really important working with the higher ed universities in developing strong programs. So we have strong professionals coming out. So then we have parents and people advocating to have quality physical education so they can lead a healthy, active life. And so that's where the foundation comes for me. And then uh, that's where having the APENS and the CAPE certification, collaborating with people who don't have that established right now through NICPEED and, and moving that up in the next five years, I think is really going to um, have a profound impact on states as we move forward. And yes, like there is a piece of networking with states that are already established, um, but then having a collection between the 45 that don't right now and how we can support that. I'm, I'm trying to get that conversation started a little bit, but it's... it's... And I think the, the way that you're doing it with technology and getting us all connected, um, I love, I, I'm constantly sharing the Facebook, like all the different social medias. That's where the young people really are right now. Yeah. Um, and so that may be something when we're talking to different states, how can we connect through social media so that we can spread the word, then get them connected into the business, the politics, the... Um, piece of program development because that's a huge barrier we we train our teachers to go out to teach kids well we also need to do program development piece too how do you advocate for program development because there, there's a lot more programs that need to be developed than not and 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 tony you you just created this fort library which uh is like that that library system that i what, what is the original idea of it it's the lending library. So when you walk down the street, you give a book and take a book. And we were walking my, my dog, and I was like, wow, I have a ton of PE equipment and sports equipment. I live across the street from a park. Let me just make a lending library for sports equipment. And so just put it, and it's been phenomenal. It's been a great community builder. And so, yeah, maybe some, we need to be 
Well, that, that's a great initiative, but you know what I saw, and we talked about social media. Now, I'm, I'm also going to cap that at some point, too, but at, at okay, the that went viral. You got on the news, like, what, three or four times with that? You got interviewed mm-hmm. for newspapers, and how? And that's what I think our field needs to do, is it, we need to go viral, and we need to, like, that's, I mean, that's how people are going to find out about us, just like you said, on social media, and some of the things that I see on my Facebook page is like, what is this, you know? And you get interested in it. We have to do that. And I don't, I, we are not doing that yet. And now at the other end of it, I, I you know, I'm, that's kind of like where my research is starting to go is this podcasting and social media stuff. We all, it also needs to be, we do need to cap it and say, because that's kind of, I've had some people talk to me and I, I agree. And there's not research to support it, but we need to also say, Learning still needs to happen face to face. We still need to do. We still need to read. It's just this is another component. It can't be the end all be all, but it's a great thing that we can use too. But so yeah, no, I, I, these are and I've really appreciated the conversation genuinely. So celebrate our successes. Yeah, highlight them. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, and uh, this has been great. If-